0: And welcome to the R. Jackson Home Podcast. This week we are joined by uh, Roger Page. He's a Tennessee Supreme Court Justice. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: So the reason I wanted to have you on is because, well, one, you're one of five Supreme Court Justices for the state of Tennessee, but also you're from West Tennessee.
1: Correct. I grew up in Chester County.
0: And, um, and you know, Chester County boy who's now running, you know, uh, in the court the highest court in the state of Tennessee. Walk us from there to there, like...
1: Well, I started out, um, I was born in 1955, October, in Henderson, at the Henderson Clinic. And um, my parents um, were farmers. They live at Mifflin. My dad is 91, mother's 89. They still live in the same house where I grew up. Um, if you go to Mifflin, go down toward Lou Ray, close to where Mayor Harris grew up. Where he grew up is probably three or four miles from where I grew up. Okay. But he was over in Henderson County. Mifflin is where Henderson, Chester, and Madison counties all come together, basically. Gotcha. Only five or six miles from Jack's Creek, which is the best barbecue in the world. We know <laughs> that. Heard. And uh, I started to a one-room school in uh, the fall of 1961. We uh, had probably 15 or 20 small little schools in the county. had uh, one room. One teacher, my teacher was Ms. Moselle Jones, who was from the same area, and she was uh, the aunt of the singer Eddie Arnold from Chester County also. We've all heard about that. She taught me in first grade. Second grade, I had another teacher named Ms. Arlie Roberts, but after those two years, they closed all the little county schools and went to uh, East Chester County Elementary School. So I went from having 18 kids in eight grades to probably five or 600 and having my own you know, I guess there were three classes of third grade, so I went all the way <laughs> through Chester County school system. Was there, there. a
0: bunch of hubbubaloo about that? Were a bunch of people upset about that, or was it a good thing Were people excited oh, about
1: it? It was a good thing because uh, the last two three years they kind of they quit repairing the old county schools. So they knew we were closing them, and in the wintertime, we had one pot bellied stove that sat in the center of the room, and uh, we heated with coal, and just um, if I remember correctly, she started with the first grade and went. Up so by ten o'clock in the morning, I was finished with class. So I just listened for the rest of the day. <laughs> <clears throat> and I thought when I went to third grade, I was much more advanced than the other kids because i had been listening to eighth grade yeah. lessons. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs>
0: um, so you graduate from Chester County. What uh, What's next for you? Did you because I saw in your bio that you went into the pharmacy world.
1: Well, <clears throat> as I said, my dad was a farmer. We had cotton, soybeans, pigs, cows, everything. And uh, the only thing I knew for sure was that I did not want to be a farmer. <laughs> so uh, I had friends in town you know, where dads were lawyers, dads were doctors, dads were pharmacists. Uh, so I ended up going to pharmacy, pre-pharmacy at UT Martin. And at that time, you could get into pharmacy school in only two years. Now, it's always a PharmD, but mm-hmm. I do not have a PharmD. I have a Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy. At the time, it was two years undergrad, and then I was accepted to uh, University of Tennessee Health Sciences Center in Memphis, mm-hmm. and uh, graduated in 1978, and worked for Walgreens, and my that was nine quarters straight through. You could take summer classes, so I started in the fall of 75 and graduated in march of 78 i think i took one summer off but my second year we had a class called pharmacy law Mm -hmm. we had a fellow who taught us his name was bruce white he was a pharmacist and a lawyer wow and i became fascinated with the law and decided that's what i wanted to do yeah so i went to law school with the intent of teaching pharmacy law to the pharmacy students and I did well in law school and was able to get a clerkship with a federal judge and started practicing law and started out with a large firm in Atlanta then came back here to Jackson and practiced several years. And uh, in 1998, I ran for an open circuit judge seat. We had two judges, two circuit judges here, and it was so busy that uh, the legislature created a third position, a third circuit judge that was open. And uh, four of us ran for it, and I was lucky enough to win.
0: So can you help me understand why a lawyer wants to become a judge?
1: That was always one of my goals. I think it's just part of public service. I always wanted to be in public service, and that was a way to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, now not all lawyers want to be judges, but if you ask most of them, I think they tell you the truth, probably a lot of them, yeah. maybe almost a majority would like to do it, mm-hmm. because um, uh, practicing law is difficult. It's hard to you know, set a schedule. You're always so busy. And it takes a toll on family life. And being a judge, circuit judge here, we're in a very busy district, having Henderson, Chester, and Madison counties all. But at least you can set your own schedule. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know. So, uh, And it's hard work if you do it right. It really is. But I, I really enjoy it. I think it's just a way to give back to the community.
0: Mm-hmm. So you get elected to the judgeship. And what's next then?
1: Well, I was trial judge for 13 years years I think in about four months and uh, I tried all sorts of cases several uh, murder cases I had um, um, medical malpractice cases we did um, car accidents things of that nature a lot of contract disputes I had several cases dealing with construction of businesses and homes and that nature it was just a basically like a general practice mm-hmm. but uh, when a, you just had to do every case that came in in the door. And when the cases got filed in the circuit courts, one-third of them came to me and I did those cases. <laughs>
0: hmm Now, were, there, were the people assigning those cases, assigning the better cases to their favorite judges? Oh, no. no it's all done at <laughs> random. So, so is, is, is that the position you left to go to the Supreme Court?
1: No. In, in um, 2008, there was an opening on the Court of Criminal Appeals and in, in, let me explain a little bit about the mm-hmm. court system yeah Here, please do we have a four-tier system i call it we have the um, general sessions judges municipal judges like you know judge christie little judge hugh harvey judge blake anderson are all uh, at that level and then the next level up is the circuit and chancery judges mm-hmm. those are courts of record. Let me back up. The Sessions judges and city judges, those those are very important positions. They probably interact more with the citizens than any judge because people go in there for everything. But then the the jury trials are held in circuit court and uh, some of the bigger cities have a separate circuit civil court and then a criminal court. Here, the circuit judges do criminal and civil. They do it
0: all. And that's, is that Allen and Atkins
1: here? it's uh, Judge Morgan, Roy Morgan, Morgan. is division 1, Judge Donna Allen's division 2 and Judge Kyle Atkins is division 3. He's sitting in the seat that I had. Okay. That's where I, I started. And then we have Chancellor James Butler. It does chancery court, which is on the same level as uh, circuit. And they pretty much have concurrent jurisdiction, which means they can do almost everything. You know, they're <clears throat> the uh, the circuit court only does criminal. Judge mm-hmm. Butler doesn't do any criminal and uh, the circuit court only does the the tort cases like car accidents medical mail judge Butler doesn't do that uh, judge Butler does a lot of domestic cases a lot of workers comp cases which circuit could do those but by tradition most of the domestic cases go into chancery court here and then <clears throat> that is the court of record anything that's done in there you have a court reporter or some way of making sure there's a record of it and uh, after those cases, either party can take an appeal. Mm-hmm. And of course, usually in most cases, it's the party who loses. It's unhappy. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we do have both sides appealing, though. But those appeals are automatic. All you have to do to appeal is file your notice of appeal.
0: And hmm. uh, <clears throat> Really? So that that seems like a really low bar to get an appeal. <laughs>
1: well, it's expensive, so you don't do it unless you think you have a chance to gotcha. prevail and have some issues to take up. But then we have 24 appellate judges. In Tennessee, we have a a 12-person Court of Appeals. Then we have a 12-person Court of Criminal Appeals. And the Court of Appeals has been around since 1926, I think. Before that, everything went straight from the trial court to the Supreme Court, and Mm -hmm. the Court of Criminal Appeals, which was created in 1967. But any criminal case goes to the Court of Criminal Appeals. Any civil case goes to the Court of Appeals or Court of Civil Appeals.
0: So they're going to have pretty high workloads, I would think. They or do. Or pretty high caseloads, I guess, would be the way to phrase that.
1: They do, because, as I said, any appeals automatic and goes up there. Now, as, um, in December of, now I guess it was May of 2008, uh, one of the judges on the Court of Criminal Appeals, David Hayes, retired, and I applied for his job. And the way that it happens is you, you apply, you go before a group of uh, citizens and or lawyers and, and uh, I think you also still have, there have been different creations to this, but you have lay people in there too. Mm-hmm. And they will interview everybody who applies and select three names, and those three names go to the governor. Then the governor and his legal counsel and, and maybe chief of staff will interview the people and they select one of those three. Mm-hmm. When well, in '08 I applied, was in the three names, but did not get selected by the governor. Judge Camille McMullen from Memphis got that position. Then 2011, um, Judge McLean from Memphis, J.C. McLean, who's a Lane College uh, Board of Trustee, uh, passed away and uh, I applied for the position again and uh, again was selected with three names. At that time I was selected by Governor Haslam. That was in December of 2011. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a little over four years, and
0: um... Now, and that Criminal Appeals Court, did that travel?
1: Yes. My, My office was in the Supreme Court building here in Jackson, just where it is same I'm in the same office Mm -hmm. but for the uh, Court of Appeals Court of Criminal Appeals there are 12 positions four in each Grand Division Mm -hmm. so we have four appellate judges on the civil uh, panels in West Tennessee four in middle four in East. same thing with the Court of Criminal Appeals Mm -hmm. but just because you're a a Court of Appeals judge from West Tennessee doesn't mean you only hear West Tennessee cases Mm -hmm. they swap out go to middle and go to East and hear cases Um, as far as the workload when I was on the Court of uh, Criminal Appeals, um, we were probably drafting and, and putting out about 80 cases a year, something like that. You know, So 12 of us, what's that, around 1,000 cases, I guess, maybe a little less for their yeah. workload. Now, <clears throat> after the case is heard in the Court of Appeals or Court of Criminal Appeals, then you may appeal to the Supreme Court, but it's only by permission.
0: Right, because the Supreme Court has to
1: admit the case? We have to accept it. It's just like the U.S. system where, you know, we have our Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati for, you know, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee, and you file your, your request to appeal and the judges look at it and they grant the appeal or not. And we have on the Supreme Court probably, I don't know, 70 or 80 requests a month. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> each... Justice is responsible for 20% of those, there are five of us, and I might have 10 to 15 each month that I look at and decide whether or not we should grant the appeal or not. And of course we do have staff attorneys who help us with that. It's not like I'm doing all that by myself because I'm not. But um, then once a month we'll have a video conference with the Chief Justice Jeff Bivens is from Franklin. He's in Nashville. Justice Connie Clark is also from Franklin. She's in Nashville. Justice Sharon Lee is from Knoxville. She'll be in the Knoxville Supreme Court building. And then Justice Holly Kirby from Memphis has an office there. And of course, I am here in the Jackson Supreme Court building, Mm -hmm. and we all look at each other on video and talk just like I'm talking to you and go through the cases Mm -hmm. and present those, decide which ones to take.
0: So, and um, you may not be able to tell me all the reasons, but... How does one get selected to be taken up?
1: Well, there there are several categories, but uh, the simple answer is if it's an issue that perhaps one Court of Appeals panel said it ought to be A, and another Court of Appeals panel said it ought to be B, in other words, we've got a split on some cases out there Mm -hmm. that will take it up and and look at it, and um, there are other, other cases, I mean, Rule 11 sets forth the criteria from what we look at. Gotcha. So mm-hmm. there's a,
0: there's like some sort of official document says right. mm-hmm. that. Interesting. Yeah. So why, uh, uh, what are you enjoying about being a Supreme Court of Tennessee Justice?
1: Well, when I was on the trial bench, <clears throat> basically all I did was I went to my three counties and, tried cases. I really enjoy that. I, I do miss working with the jurors, because mm-hmm. where I am now, we don't see juries anymore. It's all, as we lawyers say, on the record. Mm-hmm. You don't have live testimony or anything. But when I was on the Court of Criminal Appeals, I probably spent 95% of my time when I was working, actually working on opinions. Mm-hmm. On the Supreme Court, I probably spent about a third of my time working on opinions maybe close to a third, working on the Rule 11 cases, deciding which cases to take, or things like that. And then we have 14 commissions in the state. Uh, The Board of Professional Responsibility is one of them, and each Supreme Court justice is responsible for two or three of those, and I'm the liaison to the Board of Professional Responsibility, which is the group that oversees lawyer discipline. So when you see in the paper that some lawyer got censured or suspended, yeah. that's what that's all about. I'm also a liaison for, for this group called the Tennessee Lawyers Fund for Client Protection. About 20 years ago, we decided, in a previous Supreme Court, each lawyer, when he or she pays the, the fee each year to practice law, and I, it's around $180, I can't even remember exactly what it is, but $10 of that goes into this fund. And this is any time a lawyer um, basically the easy thing to say is, takes money from a client when they shouldn't, mm-hmm. then they can apply to this fund and be reimbursed for some of that, mm-hmm. and it's something people are sitting around and say, you know, if these things are happening, we need to do something to make the legal profession look better and try to help, <laughs> and let me make sure I'm clear, 99 point something percent of lawyers go to work every day and do exactly as they should, yeah. and they're entirely ethical. Yeah. But you have some that, you know, some things happen, and, it, and when lawyers uh, have problems like that, taking money they shouldn't it's usually depression drugs alcohol whatever so I spend some of my time with the Mm -hmm. client protection fund and the board of professional responsibility and uh, of course each justice has two or three that he or she works on and I will say I think if you heard the names earlier that I went over uh, we do have a majority of women on the supreme court Hmm. three women and two men and uh, there's some
0: (coughs) might not guess for Tennessee I would say right
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's pretty neat. Well, um, well, let's take a break and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about how the the Supreme court works and what, what kind of things that we should think about when we think about that. So, so uh, from our front porch to yours, this is our Jackson. home. And we're back with, uh, Tennessee Supreme court justice, Roger page, uh, Justice Page, so talk to us about. So you were you're on the Criminal Appellate Court,
1: Court of Criminal Appeals would be the appropriate we, to to we don't want to say we don't put criminal in front of appellate court. Court okay. of Criminal Appeals. All right,
0: fair <laughs> enough. What? Uh, how? How does one get to the Supreme Court from there?
1: Well, <clears throat> Supreme Court in Tennessee is held in three places. We have three Supreme Court buildings: Knoxville, Nashville, and Jackson. We're very lucky to have it because when when this was decided in the 1830s, Jackson was not that much smaller than Memphis and was much more centrally located. Mm. So we have the Supreme Court building here in Jackson. Now, most people don't know it. I still see friends here at lunch, and they say, oh, are you back visiting? They think I moved to Nashville because mm-hmm. I got on this court. Yeah. But the, the Constitution, Tennessee Constitution, says that there shall be five Supreme Court justices. And that there shall be no more than two from any Grand Division. So What that means is there's always two, two, and one. So there were five justices. Chief Justice Gary Wade, who's from uh, Sevier County, um, had retired in September of 15, and of course there, there being five justices, no more than two could come from any Grand Division, that left Two in Middle Tennessee, one in East and one in West. So the new justice had to come from West Tennessee or East Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And I could spend 30 minutes telling you about how the appellate selection process has evolved, but I'll just make it short. The governor now can just select someone if he wants to and send them to the legislature. But uh, he created his own governor selection commission, which kind of uh, mimicked the old commission that was appointed by the Speaker of the House and and the Lieutenant Governor. So 10 of us applied for the um, Supreme Court, and again, by statute, when it's a Supreme Court position, even if the only persons who can apply from West Tennessee, you still go to Nashville to interview. And when I had interviewed for the Court of Criminal Appeals, uh, they either take the interviewees in alphabetical order or reverse alphabetical order so both times had been reversed so i'd gotten to go second or third it just so happened this time it was alphabetical order and out of 10 people i was next to last so we started at eight o'clock in the morning and by the time i came around it was about 4 30 and i was exhausted from listening to all the other answers yeah. and you think if you listen to other answers all day it would give you an advantage but it, it really doesn't because there are only so many answers to the questions and by then the 12 commissioners have heard them all, and you're either repeating what someone else said or trying to make up something new, and that's when you make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So we we uh, interviewed, and three of us were selected to go to the governor. It was uh, Judge Rob Montgomery from Kingsport, Judge Skip Frierson, Thomas Frierson, we call him Skip, <laughs> from Morristown, and me from here in Jackson. Because so We were all good friends. We all knew each other. In fact, Judge Montgomery and I served together on a court of criminal appeals. So they did background checks, a lot of background checks, call everybody you ever knew in your whole life and talk to them about you. And uh, then we all went and interviewed with the governor's legal counsel, Dwight Tarwater, for an hour. Then we went and interviewed with the governor for 30 minutes and then went back and talked to Mr. Tarwater and his assistant, Ashley Roberts, for another 30 minutes or so. That would have been in, well, it was November 23rd of Mm -hmm. 2000. 15 because it was the Monday before Thanksgiving not that I can remember these days
0: (laughs) yeah you've been very good on (laughs) time. and then uh,
1: for a long time we had the the appellate process in Tennessee where if there was an opening you went through that commission three names went to the governor the governor appointed you and then you got sworn in and went to work I was the first one you know after the governor called me on January 7th and it was interesting because when he called me to offer me the court of Criminal Appeals, I happened to be in Chester County, which I thought was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So I happened to court, and that's where I grew up, and it was December the 22nd, and we all thought that the selection wouldn't come until after the first of the year. And I actually, when I had court, I turned my phone off. Well, I was actually taking a break from court, turned my phone back on, and the phone rang it was the governor. Mm-hmm. So he immediately told me, you know, I'd like for you to be on the court. Well, uh, what normally happens is the governor's legal counsel will call the people who don't get this election and the governor calls the person who gets it. Well on January the 7th of 2016 I was walking around, I couldn't, I knew, we knew it was going to come that day or the mm-hmm. next day so I was nervous. Got a phone call and I looked and I, I recognized Mr. Tarwater's number. Uh-huh. So I thought well I didn't get it so I said hello and and I heard him say so, hey uh, Judge Page this is Bill Haslam. So I thought well this is good. <laughs> so. He talked to me for a couple of minutes and still hadn't mentioned it, and I thought, he's such a nice guy, he's calling everybody, because he really is one of the nicest people mm. I've ever met. And then finally, about three or four minutes of that conversation, he said, well, do you still want to be on the Supreme Court? And I said, yes, sir. But I was the first one who had to be confirmed by the legislature. Okay. So I went in, and and uh, <clears throat> you've seen on TV with the confirmation of the federal judges. It was similar to that, except... Um, the federal judges are confirmed only by the Senate. We have to be confirmed by the House and Senate. And, That's a
0: lot of people to vote yes.
1: Well, it had never been done in Tennessee before, and there was no enabling legislation at the time that I was appointed. So they actually had to pass a bill as to how to do it. But um, the the Senate has the Judiciary Committee, and the House has a Civil Judiciary and and um, <clears throat> Criminal Judiciary Committee. So. We didn't know if I'd have to go through three committees, but <laughs> yeah. Speaker Harwell, I'm very thankful to her for this, appointed a joint committee of the of the House, so I only had to go through two committees. And I was voted out unanimously, and then on February 22nd they had a, a joint meeting, just like they do for the State of the State. And uh, I think I got, I got all the votes, but there were two or three who were missing. But uh, that was very... I think it was goodwill because it was the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person who uh replace me did not get a unanimous vote. Mm. And I think there were maybe one or two voted against him. So mm. I don't know if we'll ever have another unanimous confirmation or not. So I'm very proud of that.
0: That's that's really neat. And um now, this is the next question that might be hard for you to answer. Why do you think and maybe you answer this as what, what makes a good judge, but why do you think you were appointed to that position?
1: Well if you look at the resume, I mean, all when it was Judge Frierson and Judge Montgomery and and me, um, all were very well qualified. And but I think I had been trial judge longer than anybody, mm-hmm. uh, any of, of that group. Well, actually, Judge Frierson may have been a chancellor longer than I was circuit. Anyway, I've been I've been circuit judge for um, 13 and a half years, and then spent four years on the court of appeals and and uh, I did well in law school I clerked for a federal judge so the resume looked good and I tried my best to interview well mm-hmm. and you know it's just like any other job interview you know why do you want this job and and as I said earlier it's more you know more about service for me mm-hmm. and when you're on the intermediate courts people ask why would you want to go to the Supreme Court well the Supreme Court is the you know the final court in in Tennessee as far as any issues dealing with our constitution and Our law, now we can be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court on matters dealing with the U.S. Constitution and and federal matters Mm -hmm. like that. But I just wanted to serve and I think, you know, I kind of got lucky. Sometimes when I'm sitting up there and you have the little... Uh, panel in front of me that says, you know, Roger A. Page, Supreme Court of Tennessee. I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a pretty,
0: it's yeah. pretty uh, mm-hmm. auspicious title. Mm-hmm. Um, so most people are probably more familiar with the U.S. Supreme Court. right? Um, what's the kind of some of the differences? Like, do you guys let court reporters into your, because I'm, or I they court, there's no photo and video at the U.S. Supreme Court. Right.
1: We do. We let them in. They have to have, um, Tennessee is very open about having Uh, cameras in the courtroom it goes back probably 20 years uh tennessee supreme court rule 30 when i was a trial judge i had the the, uh, bbj and of course i had some cases that were big enough that people came from memphis nashville and national outlets and i never had a problem with them disrupt the the only thing that i see sometimes on these cases that get national um publicity is I think the lawyers perform a little bit for the camera and the judge has to control that mm-hmm. um, but I would always have the print reporters from the Jackson Sun in court and I really never had it you just explain what the rules are they can't take any pictures of the jury Jury members, and in the you know the courts in Jackson, we have we put the cameras back in the corner because the jury boxes are inset into the wall. So as long as they're back in that corner, they can't see the jurors on camera anyway. Mm-hmm. In the appellate courts here, same thing under Rule Thirty. If the print media or the um, TV media wants to come in, they have to ask permission, mm-hmm. and we say yes, you can. I and mean, since I've been on the courts, both in the intermediate court and the Supreme Court, we've never said no. Mm-hmm. Not, I guess conceivable we might someday for some reason you know if you have children involved or some very sensitive subject something like that mm-hmm. we might but uh, we've never had a problem and the, the, the federal court system just the federal judges just don't seem to want to do that and I really think they should mm-hmm. I think it's good for people to see you know, what's going on in the courtrooms when I would have my jurors come in for the first day when I, we'd have jury ori- orientation I would tell them two things this is not like these courtroom TV shows you see, and I won't name any of them, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's not going to be a six-month trial like what happened to the O.J. Simpson case. I, the longest jury trial I ever had, and I tried death penalty cases, was seven days. Hmm. We could, you know, just go to work, and get the case over with. But um, now the U.S. Supreme Court is appointed for life, mm-hmm. and we're not. Um, our Constitution now, the amendment that we passed in 2014 says that the appellate judges shall be appointed by the governor, confirmed by the legislature, and subject to the retention vote. So when you go in to vote you know every eight years, the next one will be 2022, you have all those long list of judges, shall this person be retained or replaced? Mm-hmm. And I know it's probably, um, some people look at that and go, oh, that's not important, I'm not gonna check all that, but it really is. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because I've I've been on the retention ballot three times, and you look, and most people get around 70%. And uh, the last time I was very proud, I can't remember exactly what I got, But my, in my old judicial district, of course, I got in the high 80s. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, everybody's not going to vote for you yeah. because you had people. I remember Judge Taylor was here when I started practicing law. He was our circuit judge for about 40 years, and he was toward the end of his career when I started. I, st- I came here in 1987, and he and he had to come up for election every eight years, and he said to a group of young lawyers, he said, you know, every year I'm here, some more of my friends pass away, and every year I make a few more people mad with my rulings. One of these days, one of you young guys could beat me if you wanted to. But uh, you know what, what happens most of the time in these small areas is if you get the job as a trial judge, you're doing a good job, then you don't have an opponent at election time. But uh, I have, you know, I don't have a problem with the retention election. I think that if somebody really is doing things they shouldn't do, then you know, I've had people tell me it's harder to run an a retention election than it is to have an actual opponent if you really have a controversy because mm-hmm. you're running against yes or no. The, the, you're running against yes or no, and you're the no vote is this perfect person out there that whoever is going to get appointed next.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and just help the listeners understand why is the Tennessee Supreme Court important? And I know that, and I'm not trying to be mean, like, but like, like you guys are making case law, right? Like, you're making law. Right. You're you may be testing the the validity of laws that are shaping our everyday world, right? So, like, how does right. that play out for an average citizen? Well,
1: we set policy. You know, all the death penalty cases are automatically uh, appealed to the Tennessee Supreme okay. Court. That's one area that we spend a lot of time on. Um, and you know, we're just the final. Court for anything, any issue that's coming up in Tennessee. And I guess that's the main reason we're important. Any, any. I mean, I, I don't want to get into any specific cases or anything mm-hmm. that we decide. We only take cases that are important policy cases. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if you look at our last ten cases that have been published, there was one dealing with lesser included offenses, which is when a person is charged with a certain crime, like aggravated robbery. Then there are lesser included offenses like robbery and aggravated assault and theft and things like that. And there was a big issue and you know, some of the judges were doing it one way, some another, and some. Mm-hmm. And the trial judges, many times they just need guidance. Mm-hmm. They don't really, I won't say they don't care what we do, they do, but they want us to give them definitive rules so mm-hmm. they know what to do the next time this same issue comes up.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, of course we've had two or three death penalty cases. One um, case that was decided recently dealt with the death penalty protocol, the drug protocol, whether it was constitutional or not, mm-hmm. and we had to rule on that.
0: And 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 your ruling on that will affect how that drug protocol is done in the state of Tennessee forever until... Right.
1: Until, uh, until it's changed. For or challenged. Reason. or yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we've said that protocol is okay Yeah. And the, and the U.S. Supreme Court did not accept that case, so that's the law right now. Yeah. Now, if there's another protocol that's proposed for some reason because drugs aren't available or whatever, <laughs> then we'll have to do that again. Gotcha. Right
0: and so, because I think it's, I ask that question because I think the Supreme Court of Tennessee and the United States probably has as much of an influence on the way our lives work, but most people never think about it.
1: Well, a big a big thing I think that most state and appellate courts dealing with the Fourth Amendment, you know, citizens being secure in their homes, searching seizure and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And uh, we had a case recently. Uh, <clears throat> the federal courts several years ago adopted a, a good faith exception to the Fourth Amendment where, if, for example, if a police officer thought that there was a certain set of facts or thought that he had been issued a, a warrant and went and made a search, but it turned out he was mistaken about what he had done and before in Tennessee that would be thrown out but uh, we have also implemented a good faith exception based on uh, Tennessee law mm-hmm. so
0: and that's something that could affect lots Anybody. of folks yeah. right mm-hmm. so very neat now if someone is thinking about getting into the into the judge life right. what, what do you what do you advise people i mean obviously they're probably a lawyer already but like what when someone's thinking about that what do you say to them
1: well, you have to do it for the right reasons. And of course, if you're really thinking about running for judge, you need to make sure that you participate in a lot of community activities, get to be known. I mean, one of the main reasons I got elected in 1998 but it's because I had coached Dixie Youth Baseball for 12 years, and everybody in the <laughs> county knew me over that. Yeah. You know, because of that. But, uh, and you have to really, of course, maintain your uh, integrity, make sure you don't have any black marks on your record as far as practicing law or mm-hmm. in your personal life or anything else. And you just have to be willing to work hard for about a year running for the position.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, let's to, to take a step back from the judgeship for a mm-hmm. minute. You did mention softball. Right. And on your bio it mentions that you're on a softball team or were on a softball team.
1: Well, I was on a softball team. I haven't played in two or three years now, so I probably need up, to update the bio. <laughs> but, you know, those things get, of course, the one you're looking at has probably been on the website or something. Yeah. But I played uh, high school baseball and, and uh, coached baseball and then enjoyed, I played softball probably until I was about 35 on you know some of the competitive teams. And then uh, we started the 15-over softball league and started doing that, and it's a lot of fun. I haven't done it since I got on the Supreme Court, because I, I'm gone so much, I hate to be on a team and then miss two-thirds of the games, so I just don't do that, but they're still doing it here, and it's very competitive, and it can can be a little dangerous, because in, in my, I have a theory that if you're a really good athlete, and you're 50, you can still hit a softball as hard as you ever could. I have played but,
0: softball with Jack Holmes. Yes, and that can be a dangerous sport right. if you're playing with Jack Holmes.
1: But when you're 50, <laughs> your reflexes aren't what they used to be. So yeah, you, know, you don't want to be playing third base or second <laughs> base or first. I always wanted to play in the outfield. On yeah. the 50 and over. League. Yeah.
0: Um, well, Roger uh, Justice Page, thank you so much for for coming and talking to us about this very important thing. And and thank you for representing West Tennessee when you do that.
1: Well, I'm glad to be on the court. I'm the first justice from West Tennessee outside of Memphis, I think since Judge Lyle Reed from Brownsville back in the 90s. And before that, there was Judge Ross Dyer from Halls in the 70s. So it's very rare to have somebody from West Tennessee outside of Memphis. Well,
0: we're glad to have you there, and, and thank you so much. Thank you. Today's podcast was hosted by Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music is performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at The Co. To find out more about The Co., visit their website at www.attheco.com. And to find out more about uh, R. Jackson Home and read about How Amazing Jackson is, visit rjacksonhome.com.